And good morning. How are you today? Good to have you in the house. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we are actually one church in two locations. And so we are excited to be worshiping at the same time as Lake Hills Church downtown at Brazos Hall right now. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, also, I don't know if, if you've picked up on this. I've seen a lot more smiling faces in burnt orange today than I saw last couple of weeks, actually. Whew. I know it shouldn't matter. I know it's just football, but guess what? It matters. But anyway, we are excited to have you in the house no matter where your allegiances lie. If you cheer for other teams beside the Longhorns or you like God or whatever, we're, we're glad that you're here. So anyway, great to be here. You know, as a church for the last couple of weeks, we have been engaged and really partnering with over 370 other churches across Austin to light and ignite spiritual conversations. And they're conversations, obviously, that originate with what we do in here on Sunday morning. But the hope and the prayer for the whole Experience God movement or Explore God movement is not just that we would originate conversations on Sunday morning, but that those conversations would radiate out into our weeks, out into the classrooms or cafeterias, the marketplace where you work, your neighborhoods where you live, the gyms that you joined back in January and haven't been to, wherever you may go, that these conversations would start. And we kind of started the conversation at a high altitude level. We've talked about philosophy and meaning of life, purpose to life type questions. We talked about the reliability of the Bible and where it kind of stacks up against other ancient works of antiquity. And so across the board, we've been at a high level, but this weekend really marks a turning point in the conversation. It really marks kind of a, a pivot, if you will, where we move from kind of the high level, big picture stuff, which matters and where it's good to address. Today kind of gets very, very real. And today really comes down to really just very, very fundamentally and basically an introduction. I've stood in Roman cathedrals, prayed in Southern Baptist chapels. I've never heard a voice. I ain't paying a penny more Oh, tell me where to find Tell me where to find the Lord They raised me on donuts and coffee Under fluorescent lights We watched outdated movies It smelled like a hospital But no one was being cured Tell me where to find, tell me where to find the Lord Oh, tell me where to find, tell me where to find the Lord Oh, tell me where to find, tell me where to find the Lord How the hell am I supposed to knock on heaven If I can't even see the door Yeah, won't you tell me where to find So I traded in my pew for a bar store Trying to find redemption in the mind of the youth We 
he'd sit tall with our cigarettes and disheveled uniforms. But I never know, I never saw the Lord. Oh, show me where to find, show me where to find the Lord. Oh, show me where to find, show me where to find the Lord. How the hell am I supposed to knock on heaven if I can't even see the door? Introducing myself in the grave. Cause after all of my years living free, well, I don't have much to say. And the more questions I have, well, the less I want to try. Time was winning so many times, I just stopped keeping score. So won't you tell, someone tell, where to find the Lord? bow for closing prayer. Father, we just think, man, that, I, the first time I heard that song, I was just, I was blown away by how much David is able to convey and to communicate. I, I love what he said about uh, being, a, being raised on coffee and donuts under fluorescent lights, watching outdated movies. How many of y'all ever spend any time in a fellowship hall? Can I just see a show of hands? But then how about that line, I traded in my pew for a bar stool. You don't have to raise your hand on that. But I think a lot of us, a lot of us can identify with that search, with, with wondering, where do I find the Lord? That's really the heartbeat of the Explore God message series and the movement across our city. How do we get at this? Because the fact is, if we're not really, really deliberate, if we're not really, really intentional about it, we can get very, very distracted. As a matter of fact, even the last two weeks that we've spent in here at Lake Hills Church can be a distraction. Now, I don't mean that the subject matter doesn't matter. It obviously mattered. We devoted a Sunday out of only 52 that we're given a year to really and truly investigating. But reality tells us that if we focus only on the meaning of life, or if we focus only on the reliability of scripture, or only who do you vote for, or only evolution, or only what do you think about homosexuality, then we get distracted. We can get sidetracked if we're not really, really 
careful. Again, let me reiterate that those things matter, but they are not central. As a matter of fact, today, I want us to get very, very focused. And to do that, we're going to go to a passage of Scripture that the Bible goes to the trouble of describing a conversation that Jesus had with his closest followers. If you've got a Bible with you, it's in Matthew chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen here in just a second. But I want you to understand the context around this conversation before we get there because the fact is that this conversation, like this message today, was a pivot point in Jesus' relationship with his closest followers. Prior to this conversation, Jesus' fever was just reigning all over Palestine. People were traveling from near and far. They were like, you're not going to believe this. The carpenter's kid is healing people. He's feeding 5,000 people on two fishes and five loaves of bread. Unbelievable. People were clamoring from near and far. They were tweeting everything they could do to let people know, come see the Jesus thing. And Jesus knew the end game. Jesus knew where this whole thing was heading. And this conversation that we're going to dive into today was that pivot point where he began to pivot not only his ministry as a whole, but his relationship with his closest followers. And it's interesting, I think, as Jesus launches into this conversation, the things that you and I can learn about how to talk to people about how to communicate with people, about how to engage in spiritual conversations. Jesus shows us this, gives us a roadmap. In the book of Matthew, let me show you what Jesus said to his closest followers. He said when, G when he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, that was like a county. That, that was kind of like this region that he came to. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And so he kind of starts out very superficially asking them, what's the gossip? What's the buzz going around? What are people saying about what you and I are a part of day in and day out? And so the disciples, they just kind of start talking to Jesus. They go, well, you're not going to believe this. I mean, and, and so they kind of, they just start talking just about like, how's the weather? It would be like if I walked in and said, did Texas win last night? And you'd be like, it was awesome. Yes, yes, the angels sang and the heavens parted. The University of Texas won a football game last night. It was awesome. But Jesus had another goal in mind. But let me show you how the disciples responded to this question. They replied, well, Jesus, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others that you're Jeremiah or another one of the prophets. They're saying, Jesus, just... What we're hearing out there, because, you know, you kind of lead the charge and we're going to hear things that you don't hear. And people are going to say to us stuff that they're not going to say to your face. And so here's here's what people are saying. They're saying that you're John the Baptist or Elijah back from the dead or Jeremiah or maybe even Joel or Amos, one of the little prophets. And, and so it's crazy what people are out there saying about you. And so Jesus lets this conversation kind of proceed a little bit and, and he lets it kind of unfold and you can kind of almost put yourself in the disciples sandals and see their relaxed kind of just like yeah man we're just chilling on folk we're just just hanging out shooting the breeze chewing the fat how many of you like to shoot the breeze or chew the fat can i just see a show of hands not everybody does and, and that's that's not a judgment call that's just kind of how god wires some people up I mean, some people like to just talk, 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 and and then there are those who like to talk and talk, 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 talk before 10 a.m. 
that's a whole other spiritual issue. But Jesus is just kind of letting the conversation unfold, letting it kind of flow. And I think it's a really great example, particularly for those of us who are praying over Explore God and looking for opportunities to engage with people. Look where Jesus started. Jesus did not walk into the room with a big pulpit Bible or scroll out of the temple and say, turn or burn, heaven or hell, what's your choice? He just kind of started with a conversation. Just what's going on in the world? What, what, what questions are people asking? What do you hear about on the street? And I think that's a great example for us. If we want to really truly engage with people, we want to really truly be able to have spiritual conversations with people, just talk to them about life. Just ask them what's going on. What, what are you curious about? Have you seen the billboards around Austin? Explore God? Have you, have you thought about that? I mean, we've all got questions. That's what the billboard says. So you know it's true. What questions do you have? And I think for those of us who are Christ followers, we've, we've got to put ourselves in a position where we can have those kind of conversations. We've got to put ourselves in a position where we're willing to step outside of our comfort zone and ask those questions and then listen to the responses. We've got to be able to just kind of bring it up. And so that's what Jesus did here with his disciples, with his closest followers. But I think it's fascinating that the disciples never saw it coming. I mean, if you, you don't even have to be familiar with the story, but if you just kind of read between the lines, you can tell here that, you know, Jesus is setting them up. Jesus is heading somewhere. When I say setting them up, Everything that Jesus did was an act of love, was an act of grace and truth. He's not setting them up adversarially. He's setting them up for the end game. He's setting them up for where he's going. And the setup is really, really important. I had an opportunity yesterday, as a matter of fact, to see something that I've never seen before. I went with my son Joseph and a group of men from our church. We went to the drag races at the Texas Motorplex Speedway in Ennis, Texas. I'm curious, how many of you have ever been to a drag race live and in person? Can I just see a show of hands? Okay, keep your hands up because everybody with your hands up, you are now eligible for spiritual leadership at Lake Hills Church. <laughs> I'm telling you, it is an experience like, I've seen them on TV before. I remember making model dragsters when I was a kid. I remember that. And so I've, I've always been, I've never been to a race. Here's what I learned yesterday. You cannot replicate the experience. You, you can't translate it to TV. It doesn't do it justice. We actually had a chance to be right down on the track where these cars are taken off. First of all, the noise is deafening. And I mean, it's deafening when the cars are idling at the line. It sounds like a 747 is going through your head when they're standing in neutral. But what is unbelievable is when these cars pull up to the finish line. I know. I felt the same way. I know. I know. These cars pull up to the finish line, to the starting line. I'm sorry. They pull up to the starting line and they're idling. And then the, the dragster light tree goes on and there's a blue light up at the top and that tells the drivers man we're fitting to go and so the blue light comes on then they go yellow then they go green well when the blue light comes on they start to rev the engines and it's like and i mean just screaming i had earplugs in and i had to put my fingers on top of my earplugs so that no air could get in it was it was unbelievable 
So it goes blue. Here comes yellow. And then when it goes green, the noise is like a two by four to the chest. It's like, Pah! I mean, because then they go, and just take off. It's unbelievable. There isn't a man in the world who wouldn't love to see that. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. And, and I'm not saying that women wouldn't, but I'm telling you, guys, you got to do this at least once in your lifetime. I know a guy. Call me. I can get you tickets. It's unbelievable. But it's that, it's the anticipation. It's the lights, blue, and then yellow, and then green, and then what? 300 miles an hour. They go zero to 100 in seven tenths of a second. I want one of those. <laughs> but it's that, it's that anticipation every time. And so once you've been down there for a couple of these races, you know it's coming. And so when you see them pull up, man, you're like, okay, here we go. Blue light. <laughs> Yellow light. Yeah. <laughs> Green. And I mean, it's, it's physically, the, I'm telling you, the sound moves you. It's like the sound waves go. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, that's what Jesus is doing right here. <laughs> I know some of you are going, this does not connect in any way, shape, or form. Watch me. Verse 15. Jesus goes green. Look at what he says. What about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. All of a sudden, all of the warm up, all of the setup, all of the preparation, all of the gossip, all of the what other people say gets stripped away. And it's hammer down time. And Jesus goes, okay, interesting. Now, what do you say? And I would suggest to you this morning that that is the most important question any of us will ever face. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? And Simon Peter jumps up. Simon Peter, one of the things I love about Peter is he just says it. If it came in here, it came out there. And he goes, well, you're the son of the living God. You are the promised Messiah. You are who you say you are. Now, I don't offer verse 15 as proof that Jesus is God, but I show it to you to point something out very, very important. Because in the world that you and I live in, there's a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of even cynicism about organized religion, about Christianity. And I would suggest to you that it's imperative, I mean crucial, in the strictest sense of the word, crucial, that you and I can have a conversation about this. Now, I happen to believe our church stands on the belief and the trust and the faith that what Peter said is true, that it's real. But I want to make sure that you understand that, biblically speaking, so did Jesus. And so <clears throat> this academic school of thought that really took root in the 1970s, that somehow Jesus was 
just a good teacher, that Jesus never claimed to be God, he never claimed to be divine, really holds absolutely zero intellectual academic water. It's an interesting concept, it's an interesting thought, but it holds no credibility. Because look at what Jesus said immediately after this. In verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, by, by human reason or rationale, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus says, Peter, you are blessed. You are blessed because what you have just spoken is true. It is real. And this reality is not something that you could have gotten because somebody else told you this or because you read the right books or answered the right questions the right way. Jesus said, this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And so Jesus is making here, among other places scripturally, but certainly here, a really fascinating claim. Now, I'm going to get into what Jesus is saying here in just a second, but I think it's very important that we understand what Jesus cannot be saying. Whatever you want to believe about Jesus, you cannot honestly and intelligently believe that he was just a good teacher. You can't, because Jesus takes that off of the table. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, I believe Jesus was a good guy. I'm down with Jesus. It's the church. It's Christians that kind of bug me or whatever. But, but Jesus, I'm, a, I'm cool with Jesus. He's fine. He was a good teacher like Gandhi or maybe, I don't know, Muhammad or Buddha or Martin Luther King. There have been a lot of great teachers that have come down the pipe over the course of human history. I'm curious today, how many of y'all have ever had a great teacher? Like, think back to high school. You remember a great teacher that you had. I, I remember Mrs. Nickel. Mrs. Nickel taught me English in ninth grade at Robert E. Lee High School in Houston, Texas. And Ms. Nickel, she was a she was a veteran. I'll just say that. She had been teaching for a while. When I had Ms. Nickel for ninth grade English, she had been teaching for 122 years. <laughs> So she knew all of the tricks. She had been there. She had gotten the t-shirt. And Ms. Nickel was a strong presence in the classroom. She was tall, very, very tall. And she walked with a cane. And, and we were honestly, there, there was a little bit of fear of Mrs. Nickel. I remember one friend of mine asked a question. We sat in alphabetical order and this guy sat behind me and we were into her class. Now we're, we're talking about ninth grade, okay, freshman in high school. So we walk into her classroom and she's kind of a strong, intimidating presence. And this guy behind me on like the third day of class says, um, Ms. Nickel, I had a question if you could ask. She goes, I can't hear you, boy. Speak up. Talk to me like a man. <laughs> I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, my question is going to have to be, is the building on fire before I'm going to talk? But she was over the course of the year. She was a phenomenal, she was such a great teacher. She made Greek mythology interesting. Now you talk, that's, that's going some, but that was Ms. Nickel for me. But when Jesus claimed to be God, to be divine, he eliminated the possibility that anybody could ever say he was just a good teacher. 
You, you can't say that somebody who claims to be God is just a good teacher like Buddha, like Muhammad, or like anybody else that you might want to name. And so when Jesus makes this claim to divinity, when he claims to be God, you, you have to deal with that claim. You, you have to step up and go, okay, who do I say that he is? Who is this Jesus? And so what I want to do is just real quickly kind of talk about three different takes on Jesus. Now, when Jesus claimed to be God, you, you've got a couple of options. Either he knew that he was God or that he knew that he wasn't God. If he knew that he wasn't God and yet claimed to be God, then your first option is that he was a con man, that, that he was running some kind of a, a scam, that somehow Jesus knew he wasn't God, but he had an angle and he wanted everybody to believe he was God. Now, that's one possibility, just intellectually, academically, you got to look at it and go, that's a possibility. Here's my question though. If Jesus really believed he was a con man, what was his angle? He died essentially penniless, so it wasn't money. He died being executed on a Roman cross in the most painful death of state-sponsored execution that the world has ever known. Which, can we just talk about that for a second? Let's say for a second that you want to play this out. Let's say that Jesus was a con man. He knew that he wasn't God, but he was trying to con people. The first hint of a Roman whip, I'm out. They break out the whip for me. I'm like, whoa, just kidding. J.K. Laws. I didn't mean it. I'm not saying I'm God. Come on. You thought I was serious. I'm like a comedian. I tell jokes for a living. Put the whip away. I mean, let's just, I mean, I'm, I'm being really, really serious with you. Play that out. If he's a con man, how does he play the con out to execution? Never tried escape never put on a defense, never claimed or admitted to being a con man. And yet we know historically, biblically, as well as extra biblically, that he died on a Roman cross. So I understand it's a possibility, but I got, this one doesn't hold a lot of water. I said, there's another option that he claimed to be God, but didn't know he wasn't God. In that case, you'd have to say that he was crazy. You'd have to say that Jesus was not right mentally, that he was unbalanced in his approach to life, that he was seriously mentally unhealthy. And you could look at that as a possibility. You could look at that and say, okay, let's, let's play that out. Let, let's just look at the evidence. Let's look at what happened in his life. And yet... There's really no other indication of any mental unhealth, of any mental disease in Jesus' life. Throughout almost all of his interactions with other people, he's very calm, cool, and collected. As a matter of fact, the Bible says at one point, they, his, his adversaries mounted an effort to execute him ahead of schedule. They wanted to go ahead and put him on trial right then. And the Bible says that he just walked away. He just, he just walked away. Now, does that sound like somebody who's crazy to you? 
And if he were crazy, if he were mentally unbalanced, doesn't it make sense that somebody in his family, one of his closest followers might have spoken up for him at his trial? And yet we know that his very own mother, his closest followers were there at the cross as he died. I can't imagine a mother knowing her son is unhealthy. And by the time he died, he was about 33 years old. So there was a long enough history. Will you agree with me that a mother knows? I mean, mamas know. And if he were mentally unbalanced, wouldn't Mary have said at some point, no, stop this. And yet she stood by and watched while he died. She believed that what he said about himself, that what she had been told about him was true. Or maybe that one of his closest followers, his disciples, at some point along the way, uh, during their three-year intensive ministry time together, one of the disciples surely had to have kind of clued in going, I don't think this guy's right. And, and you know what? I left my family. I left my livelihood. Y'all can have this. I'm going home. I'm not following a crazy man. And just for the record, we know that every one of his closest followers, with the exception of Judas who hanged himself, the rest of his closest followers ultimately were martyred believing that Jesus was who he said he was. Now I'm going to tell you something. This is just Mac talking to you. I'm not dying for somebody that I think is crazy. I will defend them. I will step up and say, this is not right. There's an issue here. Let's talk offline. But I'm not going to the death, my death, for somebody that I know to be mentally unbalanced. And yet every single one of Jesus' closest followers did exactly that. They were there. They knew him. They saw him. They walked with him. They lived with him. And they believed him. So he's a con man. He knew that he wasn't God, but claimed to be. He claimed to be or claimed to be and then didn't know that he wasn't. Or number three, that he is the Christ. That he is who he claimed to be. Now, I understand that there's a lot wrapped up in number three. I understand that there are a lot of implications. But I want to just invite you right now, just open your mind, open your heart up just to the possibility that Jesus really is who he claims to be. To open up your mind, open up your heart to the possibility that he is the Son of God. Now, for those of you who believe that, who already are in on that and you, you buy into that, I want to just make sure that you understand, do you see the progression that we've gone through here today? Do you see kind of how to have that conversation with somebody and, and try to kind of engage with people who believe differently than we do? How to have your own explore God conversations? Nobody's yelled. Nobody's screamed. We've had a little bit of fun. We've laughed a little. But if Jesus is 
who he claimed to be, that changes everything. That that changes how we treat him. That changes how we look at the world. And you know, one of the things that, that I've noticed is that a lot of times we are hesitant or resistant to let number three be true. We, we don't want that because we're afraid of what we're going to have to give up. We're afraid that if I really and truly admit that Jesus is God, that he's divine, then there's this part of my life over here that just quite frankly, I like that I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have to give that up. And because I don't want to give that up, I'm not willing to go there. But I want to make sure that you understand that thing that you're not willing to give up, that belief, that practice, whatever it might be, is not who you are. That thing that you're not willing to release, that thing that you're not willing to walk away from, is not who you are. It does not define you. You are defined by God who created you, by God who loves you, by God who died for you. Remember I told you that this was a pivot point in Jesus' life? Look at what he says to the disciples right here. He said, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus begins right now letting the disciples know this is bigger than a teaching tour. This, there's more to this than just the miracles and the healings and the thousands of people showing up. This is bigger than Bieber fever. There is something else at work. And he says that ultimately, it's about the cross. He says ultimately, his life, his time on earth is about the cross. That's what this is all about. And so the cross here in Jesus' relationship with his closest followers, at this point in his ministry, the cross becomes that line in the sand. The cross becomes a dividing point. The cross becomes a mark of distinguishment. What I mean by that is Jesus is distinguishes himself from everybody else. Jesus is set apart from everyone because he is God and because he did go to the cross. He is distinct. He's different. Now, how many of y'all love to watch college football? Can I just see a show of hands? If you love college football, I do. I think it's great. I love it. Pay them, don't pay them. I don't care. I love to watch it. <clears throat> the last time that I played football was in the sixth grade. 
I did not distinguish myself on the football field. I don't walk into a room and people go, oh, wow, I bet he played somewhere. Whoa. Look at those shoulders. That dude's jacked. That doesn't happen for me. My athletic career was decidedly undistinguished. I was an also-ran. I, I was just kind of there. Jesus is not an also-ran. Jesus is not just one of a bunch of the crowd. When he claimed to be God and when he died on the cross and when he rose again, when he rose again, that's different. That's not the same as every other religion. And that, that critique usually gets lobbed against Christianity. Christians, they think it's all different. Every religion, every worldview thinks it's all different. That's why it's a thing. Buddhism, they think they're different. Hindu, they're different. Muslim, different. Christian, different. Every worldview is different. Next weekend, as a matter of fact, we're going to take a look at this very thing. Is Christianity too narrow? Is Christianity exclusivistic? We're going to take a look at that next weekend. But for the moment, I want to go back to the very beginning today. To David Ramirez's song, An Introduction. You want to explore God? I mean, really and truly, genuinely explore God? Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Jesus reveals the heart of God. Jesus reveals the mind of God. Because Jesus is God. Jesus claimed to have the authority to forgive sins. Jesus claimed to be one with the Father. Jesus is God. And I know for some of us, that's just kind of like, I'm going to focus on football and kickoff it in just a few minutes. But I want to just make sure that you address the most important question of your life. The one that Jesus posed to his closest followers. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say? Have you done the academic, the intellectual legwork and homework personally? Not parroting what you hear other people say. But you've done the work yourself. Who do you say that he is? Because an empty grave is different. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is different. And the fact that he did it because he loves you is different. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what challenges you carried with you when you walked in the door, what presuppositions. But I do know that this Jesus is great and he's good. And he loves you. And he died for you. And he rose again for you. For the purposes of relationship. 
You see, that's why I said at the very beginning that the philosophy and the purpose of life, meaning of life questions, the historicity of the Bible, and all of those things can become a distraction and sidetrack us. Because ultimately, this whole thing is not about philosophy. It's not even about adherence to a set of rules and regulations long ago written down. It's ultimately about relationship. Now, those things matter because of the relationship, but they are not the relationship in and of themselves. And it's for relationship that God created us. It's for relationship that Jesus maintained every ounce of his deity, of his divine character and nature while becoming human. And brought together the divine and the human so that the divine and the human could be brought together. And he invites you like he invites me into a relationship. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done. He wants you. He loves you. And he has a relationship for you. There for the taking. It's funny, this relationship thing with God can get very, very muddy in a hurry. We can complicate it. And the fact is, it's actually very simple. It's not easy. Don't misunderstand me. But it is very, very simple. All it requires is everything. Just everything. In response to His grace, everything committed to Him. The Bible says that on the day Jesus died on the cross, that the earth's natural order was altered. Now, and again, I know that for a lot of people that's kind of tough to believe and tough to buy into. But keep in mind, we're talking about God. He, he created everything, so if he wants to change it a little bit, that's no big deal for him. And on the day Jesus died, there, were, there was an earthquake and an eclipse. And it wasn't just something that was a figment of one or two people or a small group of people's imaginations. Everybody around saw this happen. And I want to just show you very quickly what happened when Jesus died on that Roman cross, one of the Roman centurions and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened. They were terrified and they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Now I show that to you again, not to prove it, because this is just one witness's testimony. But this was an eyewitness. This was somebody who was there. This was somebody who had a vested interest in it not being true. And even he said, this was the Son of God. It 
If you're here today and you have never stepped into a relationship with God, as a church family, we want to invite you to do that right now. You need to make sure that you know. It doesn't mean you all of a sudden have everything figured out. None of us does. I mean, nobody. But we know the one who does. And ultimately, it's about relationship. It's about trusting him more than you trust yourself, more than you trust another person. It's about loving him and stepping into the fullness of the love he has for you. If you're here today and you've never done that, in just a minute, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. To just take that initial, eternity-altering step of faith, of trust. Doesn't require an elaborate ceremony or a, a test that you have to pass with a certain grade. It just requires everything. It just requires you giving your life to the God who loved you enough to give his for you. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? And in this moment, if you want to step into that relationship, then I want to invite you just to pray silently right where you're sitting. Just with everything that you've got, just talk to God and just say silently, God, I need you. You are God and I am not. And Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on that cross for me. That you are God. And I choose to believe that you rose again for me. And I accept once and for all. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And I give my life to you from this moment forward. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment. It's a sacred moment. But if that was your prayer and you meant it to the best of your ability for the first time in your life, then I want to ask you, if you will, just very quietly but very definitively raise your hand. You just hold your hand up high over your head for a moment. Because in this moment, it's an opportunity for you to mark the most important moment of your life. It's a moment for us as a church to come alongside and just tell you we love you. This is a safe place. As God leads, we want to help. We're going to just pass something down the road to you that is just a card for you to fill out as a beginning place, a point of connecting. After our service, you can take it to somebody at the blue canopy out front or during the offering in just a minute, you can drop that in. But it's our opportunity, our responsibility, and our pleasure to help. That's what that card is for. The rest of it is for you to take with you. There's a Bible there, some other information for you to read later.
But as a church family, we celebrate this. We celebrate it and we are grateful that God allowed us to be in the room with you when it happened. And it's very important to us that you know this is a safe place for you. And so we want to celebrate this moment. We want to welcome you home. And we just like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home.